Palm Sunday, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. All four of the Gospels record the event of Palm Sunday, but because we're studying Mark this year, we're going to jump ahead this Sunday and next Sunday so that we might study Peter's recollection of the events of the most important week, the most important events in the church calendar year. So I will be reading Mark 11, 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told him them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had tied in the fields, that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. If you go online, you will find some great tips to make a grand entrance to any event that you might be hosting. Whether it's a wedding or a party, there are ways that you can ensure that your guests pay attention to the fact that you have arrived as the star. You could drive up in a sleek car. Everyone would see what great taste you have and maybe think that you are very rich. The problem is that maybe they'll remember the car and not you. (laughs) Sometimes they suggest that you play a prank and have a friend announce that you, the guest of honor, are missing. This might have the opposite effect of what you're hoping for, as starting a party by making people mad at you is not a very good idea. You could be uh, preceded in the room by an impersonator of a famous person. (laughs) Here we have Elvis working the crowd. But what would this say about you? You might have a flash mob. Those are popular these days. Yet it needs to be done perfectly well or it ruins the effect because people can be gleefully mean at our expense. Hitting the right tone is key, party planners say, for how you want people to think of you and remember your event. These things take effort. There are many ideas to take into consideration to ensure those who are going to be present at your party take away what you, the host, want them to get out of it. Here we see Jesus making a grand entrance on the road to Jerusalem. He is hosting this party. Although it is not for pure effect... Nor is it just for fun. It is to usher him into the city where he is going to do his most important work as Savior, the place where he is going to die. Jesus begins the hardest week of his life with a grand entrance. We expected him to enter the world with great fanfare, 
yet he comes as a baby. We expect he's going to have a big launch announcing his ministry, yet he does it by getting baptized with no announcement. Jesus constantly surprises us. Why come now this way? He's revealing himself to be the king. He is allowing himself to be worshipped as such. He will be the honored one before he is the crucified one. He is showing his right to rule just once here. Later in the week, he will say to Pilate, you are right in saying that I am the king. But he is a monarch on his own terms. A king who does not allow his people to tell him how he should reign. Although he is the ruler over all and acknowledges their praise, it is still not entirely clear what kind of king he will be. Although they think and hope that they know. This is why in a few days we know the praises will stop as the leaders and the crowds understand that he is not who they thought he was nor longed for him to be. In Mark, the last half of the book has been leading up to this visit. His ministry has been winding down. On the road in the last few days, it's been just regular life. A rich man asks him what he has to do to inherit eternal life. James and John have asked him if they could sit on either side of him when he comes into his glory, ticking off the other ten disciples. He has dramatically healed a blind man, and he has taken aside those closest to him to tell them, remind them again why they are going to Jerusalem and what will happen there. He said, I'm going to be handed over to die. Those in charge are going to condemn me and mock me and spit on me and kill me. And then in three days, he said, I will rise again. Mark tells the story in a simple, straightforward way. He helps us feel as though we're there. He references the Old Testament, but doesn't explain the references. He plays down the crowds more than the other writers. Jesus himself is not praised as much as he is in other accounts. What is plain here, what Mark wants to get across, I think, is that Jesus is in charge. He is directing the whole thing. He directs the disciples to go and to find a colt, detailing for them exactly how it will happen. Here we see Jesus calling himself Lord for the first time in this gospel. Is the colt situation something that he has planned beforehand? Or is this something he is just taking as kingly prerogative? We don't know. But as Peter remembers what transpired, we kind of get the feeling of um, anticipation on the part of the disciples. They don't know what's going to happen. Like children preparing for a big party, they know that this is a big event. They know something out of the ordinary is occurring. When have they ever witnessed Jesus riding on an animal? It's courageous for Jesus to do this. He is a wanted person, but he comes brazenly, finally ready for the confrontation that has been building, that is inevitable. There is great momentum, and Jesus is leading from the center of it all, welcoming the praise, 
while knowing it will bring the opposition closer. Rarely in life do we have one without the other, do we? He fulfills a prophecy from the Old Testament here. In Zechariah 9.9, it foreshadows this event. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Genesis 49 talks about a colt tethered to a choice vine as prophecy that the Messiah would come from the line of Judah. Numbers 19 reminds us how the colt needs to be an animal that has never been ridden before. We know Jesus fulfills every prophecy predicted about him, and these details add to what is occurring here. One writer I read this week said that Jesus shows the crowd that he is Messiah instead of telling them he is Messiah. The picture of him on a colt with people laying down their coats to pave the way for them as revelers wave branches and cry out to him becomes imprinted on our mind every year. Second service, the kids were in the sanctuary with their palm branches singing to Jesus as they uh, uh, rung around us. And we want the kids to get that in their mind. How does it feel to wave a branch? How does it feel for the crowds to cheer and to sing Hosanna? This reminds us how God wants to use our senses in knowing him. We smell the perfume being poured over Jesus' head by Mary. We eat the Passover meal. We touch his wounds with Thomas. We hear the crowds chanting, Hosanna! And then sometimes in Tenenbrae, we cry, crucify him. We have a God who wants to use the senses that he gave us that we might understand Jesus, that we might understand what he's doing this week. What these witnesses experienced help us who come later to have faith in him. The words that the crowds cry out is taken from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm, which has been used for feasts and celebrations to remember when God conquered enemies and restored Israel with great military might. It was a shout of hope to the Lord to redeem them through the promised one. Hosanna means save now. And the line after it should read, Blessed in the name of the Lord is he who comes. We wonder why the crowds cheer forgetting themselves and their enthusiasm. From the other Gospels, we understand that they're lauding Jesus for the miracles they have seen him do, for the fact that they know he is from God, raised up as one of them among them to bring deliverance. He is the Savior who will finally rescue them. Their prayers are answered. Once and for all, Israel will be saved. We see in the Old Testament and the other ancient Hebrew writings how the people longed for a king. But they use strong language about it. They want a king who will shatter the unrighteous who ruled over them. They waited for a savior who would destroy the nations who had disassembled their own nation into barely recognizable pieces. 
They knew they would rise again in power and in glory. It's hard for us who are so far removed to fully understand how they kept this dream alive generation after generation and how it was for them to believe that the time had come now. We see that they say, blessed is the kingdom of our ancestor David, which has now come to us. Jesus knew this. He knew what was in their hearts, but does not come with great military might, comes on a lowly donkey. His claim to kingship was for a much grander vision to save all of humankind, including the enemies who oppressed his people, as well as those who would try to destroy him. And so this makes us wonder what kind of God knows what we want and gives us something entirely different. Something that does not promote himself, does not keep anyone down, but is intended to truly free us from all of the systems and the situations that cause injustice and heartache. Had he come to smash and trample and destroy for the sake of one nation's dream, how would this really have helped? It would have caused more cynicism and bitterness and self-centeredness that daily I feel like we as a world are trying to dig ourselves out of in our continued brokenness. Have you ever thought about how this scene is backwards? A conquering hero comes after the battle, not before. Here Jesus comes as he's headed into the fight. This is all the parade these people are going to get. He comes as a precursor to what will happen. He is the king. He will die as the king. He will rise again as the king. He will reign in glory as the king. He doesn't change. It's a situation and the perspectives that will change. Whatever people might think they know about him, whatever they think is going on in this scene is not yet the full picture because what is going to be revealed has not happened yet. If they're looking for a nationalistic agenda to help their societal ills, they're going to be sorely disappointed. So this scripture causes us to face what we ourselves expect in a savior. The people shouted then for Jesus and sang praise to him, but they wanted to use him to save themselves from their distressing context. But we understand that because all of us want to be saved from something in this life. We want freedom from those external things that cause us pain and make us angry. We want deliverance. We want healing. Sometimes we want vengeance. And we pray in mighty name of Jesus for the situation in our lives that we can't bear. But like those who sang Hosanna that day, our biggest problem are not those external things. Our biggest problem is ourselves. What kind of God offers himself as the answer? The kind who know knows that we need to die to ourselves and to our sin. 
So we have to ask ourselves, when we come to the Lord and we pray to him and we ask him for help, what are we coming for? And should we be seeking him instead for who he is and what he wants to offer us? Because how he brings resurrection is not for us to choose. It is for us to accept. Communion is remembering the cross of Christ. As we gaze on the cross today, we have to consider what our own motivation is for giving him praise and looking to him for help. Do we only come with our own agenda, disappointed when he doesn't do our bidding, or do we look to him for what his plan for us, for our family, for our community and world might be? He is the king over all, and he deserves the purest of praise that we are capable of bringing. This morning, let's acknowledge before him what we've wanted to be saved from. And ask him instead what it is that he wants to give us right now in our lives. Showing what needs to die in us so that we might truly live. One thing that we can take away from this grand entrance into Jerusalem is how Jesus fulfilled God's promise for Messiah. God did not forget. And all that that means for the world So as we come forward this morning, let's ask forgiveness for wanting the Lord to fulfill our earthly dreams and look for him for how he wants to give us eternal hope instead. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.